Hello, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of The Informed Catholic. My name is Nedra Bard. This is going to be episode 204, and it's going to be different. We're going to do an article. This is from December 20th, uh, 2021, by Father Matthew McDonald. And this is an interesting article I want to do. It's called the... Um, it's titled on the perpetual virginity of Mary and the limits of the chosen. This is referring to the chosen um, streamline series uh, by Dallas Jenkins. And it's because of the, um, they did a, a special episode called the messengers and it's, um, it's basically uh, about the Blessed Mother, um, played by Vanessa Venicente, and is also of the actress who plays Mary Magdalene, uh, Elizabeth Tabish. And it goes basically in flashbacks. It goes from 48 AD, um, and it goes back to uh, 4 BC. Uh basically showing young actors playing Joseph and Mary on the road to Bethlehem. And in the show, it shows her giving birth and going through the labor pains that a natural woman would go to. But we Catholics, we believe because of the Immaculate Conception that the Blessed Mother was preserved from birth pains, labor pains, because of the grace she received, because she's the Immaculate Conception. This is how I'm going to try to explain it. Okay. Let's pretend you have two kids. Let's pretend Adam and Eve, two kids, and they're running down their own wildly, right? They're dressed in beautiful white, let's say Sunday clothes. And they, they don't see the, the mud ahead of them. And they don't notice the um, a tree root sticking out of the ground. They very hard and they trip over it and they fall down into this mud pit, this mud hole. And that's the fall of original sin. Now, let's pretend there's another little girl dressed in, let's pretend it's Mary. And she's skipping along, picking flowers in a basket. Let's pretend that. And she doesn't notice, the again, the same tree root. And she doesn't know that Adam and Eve, her friends, have fallen into the mud pit. And she's about to get tripped. She's about to trip over the same tree root that's sticking out of the ground. She's getting close to it. A hand comes down, her father, grabs her, pulls her up, swings her around the mud pit and lands her on the other side. She didn't fall in. That's the Immaculate Conception. She's preserved from getting from the fall. But now... Let's look at Adam and Eve who've fallen in. They're, they're having trouble getting out, right? 
So their father pulls them out. They're filthy and dirty, but Mary is immaculately clean. The Immaculate Conception was done so that the Blessed Mother can be the mother of Jesus. This was her sing a singular special gift given only to her. Her will is not impaired. Her mind is not impaired, but she still has free will. She didn't do this to herself. This was done for her. God is her savior. Now, the Trinity itself, all three had to be involved in this. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And basically the grace that the Lord Jesus, her Son, who is her Savior, out of time gave the, the gift of sanctification to his mother out of time and in time. So she can be the vessel that can um, give that, that can be that give birth to him. So you got little Adam and Eve skipping along, run, going down the road, and behind them you got Mary. But she will remain clean and pure. Her soul. She's born through natural means of a father and mother. A lot of Christians, even Catholics, make this mistake. They confuse the Immaculate Conception with the Incarnation. The Immaculate Conception doesn't mean she wasn't, but she was born without the natural sexual means. She is born through natural sexual means, but that her soul is special. That she, her soul was not touched by the stain of Adam and Eve. And that she did not commit sin because not that she herself was able to do this to her on her own, but once again, it was a special gift. She was given this special favor so she can be the vessel that can save her son. She's referred to as the Immaculate Mother, even in the East. Now, what the problem with the show was that Protestants have a difficulty understanding this. And I also believe that this difficulty is our fault as Catholics that we have failed to find a way to depict this. I mean, I don't know. How do you show a woman give birth without giving pain? We think it's natural, but it's not natural. It's actually the result of sin. The result of fallen nature. All right? And that is the problem here. How do you depict birth on screen, on, on, on a movie screen or TV screen, without the horrible labor pains that a woman has to go through? How do you depict it? I don't know how you do it. I mean, this is something... I think that Catholics, unfortunately, have dropped the ball. And I think this was the result of Vatican II. Some Catholics have developed a, an embarrassment over this. 
the same way they developed sort of like a a disdain for the rosary. For a while, the rosary wasn't taught in seminaries. Um, the the priests of the Immaculate Conception, uh, they say this that this was it was it wasn't taught in seminary, um, and that it was um, it was sort of like cast aside, and I think because of relativism, modernism, a cold modernism. Uh, a, a sort of scientific modernism. The the theology or Mariology was looked at with contempt and embarrassment and shame as sort of backwards. Well, unfortunately, this this is this is what we have to deal with, and I think this has impaired artistic. Um, Ability to tell the story, to share the story with, you know, to, to be able to figure out how do you tell, how do you artistically de- depict the, the, uh, the Immaculate Conception on screen. Protestants have developed, I think, a sort of interest and respect now in art over the Virgin Mary. Protestants have, I think, had a difficulty... Um, dealing with it because of Catholic devotion. Sometimes, maybe you could say, uh, not excessive, but I would say um, negative, negative, uh, negative uh, devotions, not positive devotions. I, I, I guess, you know, there's no other way to say it. It'd be because... It was, um, I would say it was probably through media, maybe showing more like a superstitious devotions of uh, the Virgin Mary. Maybe, you know, kind of like what you call that Centuria style stuff that's often confused with Catholicism or because it has Catholic elements in them. It's unfortunate. But let's look at this article by Father Matthew McDonald. I really... Um, I want to be able to read. I want. I want to. I want to go into this. Okay, so let's begin. Okay, this is on the perpetual virginity of Mary and the limits of the chosen by Father Matthew McDonald. All right. One of the fond memories that I have of my time as an undergraduate student at Franciscan University of Steubenville was when I saw the midnight premiere of Mel Gibson's The Passion of the Christ on Ash Wednesday, February 25th, 2004. I got to see it with my friend Mucha Pina, uh, Jose Mucha Pina. We saw it uh, at 14th Street Union Square at midnight on Ash Wednesday. I remember that day. I went into a packed theater with about two to 300 men from Trinity Hall dorm. I had a midterm exam the following morning in medieval philosophy and was busy cramming my studies in before going to watch the movie. By the time the film ended, there was not a dry eye in the house. People walked out in reverential silence 
and love for the meditation that Mel Gibson presented on screen of the price that Jesus paid for our redemption with his passion and death on the cross. In our current time, Christians are having a similar experience with the Dallas Jenkins television series, The Chosen, over its depiction of the life of Jesus as portrayed in the Gospels, as they did 18 years ago with Mel Gibson's The Passion of the Christ. There are many beautiful, positive insights that people have received prayerfully through watching this television series in their own walk with the Lord. Yet, in its recent Christmas special, The Messengers, its depiction of the Virgin Mary and the birth of Jesus fell flat of conveying the full revealed truth given to us regarding the perpetual virginity of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Virgintas in paratu. This brings up, this is the Latin, so forgive me folks, my Latin is not that great. This brings up the following questions. What is the perpetual virginity of the Blessed Virgin Mary and its place in the life of faith? What are the pro the proper place and limits of artistic depictions of the life of our Lord Jesus as depicted in the gospel? Good question. The perpetual virginity of the Blessed Virgin Mary, virgentas, virgentas in paritu, is the dogma that holds that Mary, the mother of God, was virginal before, during, and after the birth of Jesus Christ. This belief of the perpetual virginity of the Blessed Virgin Mary has implications for the relationship between Jesus, the Church, and the individual disciple. The Church holds the belief that Mary was a virgin before the birth of Christ, as expressed that she conceived Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit, Apostles' Creed. This is also alluded to in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive, ecce virgo conceptit, and bear et periet a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel. In Luke chapter 1, verse 28, we see Gabriel speak this prophecy directly to Mary at the Annunciation. Mary's response is, How can this be, since I know not man? Quomando fiat estut, quinum virium non cognisco. Luke chapter 1, verse 34. Forgive me for my bad Latin, folks. In this question, Mary is not doubting what the archangel Gabriel is telling her about, her vocation, but is questioning the, caus the causality of how God's action would be carried out by means of her virginity. This is different from Zachariah's response to the archangel Gabriel's message to him, that he and Elizabeth will conceive a son. St. John the Baptist, despite St. John the Baptist, despite her struggles with sterility, which is Elizabeth, and her old age. Uh, okay, let me go back again a little bit. This is not the. This is different from Zachariah's response to the archangel Gabriel's message to him, that he and Elizabeth will conceive a son, St. John the Baptist. 
despite her struggles with sterility and her old uh, age, his question in, inflicts doubt where he states, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. Again, Latin. Undu hoc sciam ego inimum sum sonex et ixor mie procestet in dibiasios. Luke chapter 1, verse 18. Mark Marvell, Introduction to Mary, chapter 4, Kindle edition. The perpetual virginity of Mary also implies that she had no marital relations with St. Joseph and had no other children beyond Jesus, her firstborn, her firstborn. The root of this belief is found in Mary's response to the archangel Gabriel. I know not man. Luke chapter 1 verse 34, St. Thomas Aquinas, as well as numerous fathers of the church, interpret these words to refer to a vow of virginity in that it speaks of a permanent disposition that Mary believed all her life. This is Summa Theologica, uh, book 3, um, question 28, and ans uh, which is, Four and question twenty nine, verse two. Reply, objective three. Um, this is the best I can do here. <laughs> in the perpetual virginity of Mary, Virgentis Imperatu also holds that at the appointed time our Lord left the womb of Mary, he did so in a miraculous manner without physical violation of the bodily integrity of her virginity. The early church fathers, such as St. John, uh, St. Justin Martyr, uh, in his Dialogue 107, and St. Irenaeus of Leon, Dialogue 202, I'm guessing that's what I say, held that this belief as founded in Luke chapter 128 and Isaiah 714. Their view can be summarized in the note notation that as light passes through glass without harm, to the glass, so did Jesus pass through the womb of Mary without harm to her virginity. Mark Marvell, Introduction to Mary, Chapter 4, Kindle Edition, I'm going to get this, said St. Augustine would teach also that it is behooved that our head, by notable miracle, should be born after the flesh of a virgin, that he might thereby signify that his members would be born after the spirit of a virgin church. Uh, this is um, St. Augustine's Sacra Virgentis, uh, I guess, paragraph six. De Sacra Virgentis. Vegetentis. Again, sorry about the Latin. St. Ambrose, the great mentor and friend of St. Augustine, would also affirm this same teaching regarding the perpetual virginity of Mary. Virgentis in Peritu, especially in, her fa in his famous Christmas hymn, Veni Redemptu Gentum, St. Thomas Aquinas later would cite the same hymn of St. Ambrose as justification that in order to manifest his Godhead, he was born of the Virgin. Summa Theologica 3, uh, I guess 28 paragraph 28 verse 2 or question 28 verse 2 this hymn alongside the reference of the perpetual virginity of mary 
in the Nessene Creed and in the Roman Canon Eucharistic Prayer 1 are examples of the principles of the law of prayer is the law of belief. Ex arante lex credente. The principle teaches that the church liturgy expresses her faith and gives us insight into the mind of the church as she lives out that faith in her public worship. Brian Greb, Vessel of Honor, page 47, I guess. St. Thomas Aquinas would later go on to describe the fittingness of the perpetual virginity of the Blessed Virgin Mary, beholding from this original point, it is fitting for our reasons that Christ should be born of a virgin. First, in order to maintain the dignity of the Father who sent him. For since Christ is the true and natural Son of God, it was not fitting that he should have another Father than God, lest the dignity belonging to God would be transferred to another. Secondly, this was befitting to a property of the Son of a Son himself who, who is sent, for he is the word of God, and the word is conceived without any interior corruption. Indeed, interior corruption is incompatible with perfect conception of the word, since therefore flesh was so assumed by the word of God as to be the flesh of the word of God. It was fitting that it also should be conceived without corruption of, of the mother. Thirdly, this was befitting to the dignity of Christ's humanity, in which there could be no sin, since by the sin of the world was taken away, according to to John, to Saint John, chapter one, verse twenty-nine. Behold, the Lamb of God, the Lamb without the Lamb without stain, who's taken away the sin of the world. Now it was not impossible; is not possible, in a nature already corrupt for flesh to be born from sexual intercourse without incurring the infection of original sin. Whence Augustine says, Dinab et conciap, in that union, um, the marriage of Mary and Joseph, the nuptial intercourse alone was lacking because in sinful flesh, this could not be without fleshly conceptions, which arises from sin and without which we wish to be conceived who who was to be he wished to be conceived who was to be without sin let me read this one more time sorry when Saint, when saint augustine says dinop et conceip in that the union that is the marriage of mary and joseph the nuptial intercourse alone was lacking because in sinful flesh this could not be without fleshly conceptions which arises from sin, without which he wished to be conceived, who was to be without sin. Okay, I, I understand that it's Mary and Joseph already uh, were not, were never going to conceive. They were never going to, in other words, consummate the marriage because Mary was already a consecrated virgin. This case that such a, such a thing did exist because if you remember in the gospel luke there was a woman called anna who was living in the temple from uh from her marriage and supposedly she was a virgin so there were consecrated people 
who chose to live in the temple. Like, for example, take a look at this example that John the Baptist appears to be a hermit and a monk. It was known, but not completely, it was not uncommon, but it was not widely. They were so-called people who were consecrated virgins. It would make sense. All right. It would make sense. There was, or there were, we know that Zechariah belonged to a real, an order. He was, uh, that it were a number of priestly orders and everything. So it makes sense. The problem is, I think, is that this is sort of thing is alien to the mind of a Protestant, to the theology of a Protestant, and to the, um, to their form of Christianity, to their way of practicing and interpreting scripture. It's alien to them. And I think we Catholics have failed, have failed miserably to try to depict this, to try to interpret this, to, to, to interpret it, to help other people understand this. All right, let's continue. Okay, fourthly, on account of the very end of the incarnation of Christ, which was that men might be born again as sons of God, not of the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 13. Of the power of God, which fact that the very conception of Christ was to appear as an example. This is also from Thomas Aquinas Summa Theologica, uh, th- book 3, 28, uh, question 28, I guess, two verses 2. Um Thomas would later speak of Mary's pain in childbirth as um, in the following manner. The pains of childbirth are caused by the infant opening the passage from the womb. Now it has been said above, above uh, 28 verse 2 replies to objections that Christ came forth from the closed womb of his mother and consequently without opening the passage. Consequently, there was no pain in that birth as neither was there any corruption. On the contrary, there was much joy therein for that, for that God-man was born into the world. According to Isaiah 35, verse 1 and 2, like the lily, it shall be but forth and blossom and shall rejoice with joy and praise. Summa Theologica, book 3, uh, question 30, uh, article 35, I guess, verse 6. Pope Paul VI at the Council of Trent would later affirm the perpetual virginity of Mary, admonishing to those who assert that the same most blessed Virgin Mary is not the true mother of God and did not always persist in the integrity of virginity, namely, before giving birth, in giving and in giving birth, and perpetually after giving birth. Um, this is uh, from Vessel of Honor, from a book called Vessel of Honor, quoting um, the Pope here. Pope Pius Twelfth. Okay, uh, if I said it wrong, the first, the Pope Paul the Fourth at the Council of Trent. I might have said the fifth accidentally. It's Pope Paul the Fourth in the Council of Trent. And now I'm going to be quoting Pope Pius the Twelfth, would speak of the miraculous birth of Jesus Christ and Our Lady's motherhood in relation to her perpetual virginity in the following way: Mary whose sinless soul was filled with the divine spirit of Jesus Christ above all other created souls who in the name of the whole human race gave her consent for spiritual marriage between the son of God and human nature 
within her virginal womb of Christ, our Lord already bore the exalted title of head of the church. In a marvelous birth, she brought him forth as the source of all supernatural life and presented him newly born as a as a prophet, king, and priest to those who from among the Jews and Gentiles were the first to come to adore him. Mystic Corpses, uh, Article 110, I guess. Okay. All right, let me just go back to Pope Pius XII again and just let's read it one more time. Pope Pius XII would speak of the miraculous birth of Jesus Christ and Our Lady's motherhood in relation to her perpetual virginity in the following way. Mary, whose sinless soul was filled with the divine spirit, it should be capital S, uh, spirit um, of Jesus Christ, above all other created souls, who in the name of the whole human race gave her consent for a spiritual marriage between the Son of God and the, hu and the human nature, the two natures of Christ, the hypostatic union. Within her virginal womb, Christ our Lord already bo bore the exalted title of the head of the church. In a marvelous birth, she brought him forth as the source of all supernatural life and presented him newly born as prophet, king, and priest to those who from among J Jews and Gentiles were the first to come to adore him. Mystici Corpus. Okay, I guess this would be Article 110 or something. Uh, the Second Vatican Council will expand upon this insight by teaching this union of the mother with the son in the work of salvation is made manifest from the time of Christ's virginal conception up to his death. This union is manifest also at the birth of our Lord, who did not diminish his mother's vir virginal integrity, but sanctified it. Lumen gent uh, Gentium, uh, Article 57. The Catechism of the Catholic Church would also reaffirm this teaching on the perpetual virginity of Mary in stating the deepening of faith in the virginal motherhood led the church to confess Mary's real and perpetual virginity even in the act of giving birth to the Son of God made man. In fact, Christ's birth did not diminish his mother's virginal integrity, but sanctified it. And so the liturgy of the church celebrates Mary as Aya Parthianos, the ever virgin. This, I guess, I would have to be Greek. I, I, Parthenos, I Parthenos, the ever virgin. This is Catechism of the Catholic Church, uh, Article four hundred ninety-nine. John Paul the Second, Saint John Paul the Second, would also teach in relation to the perpetual virginity of Mary that the body also expresses the interior depths of the person. Mary's physical virginity is an external expression of the mystery of her perfect interior virginity. And because Mary was to be a virgin in her spiritual and physical virginity, was perfect and united to each other. Milirias, Mulirias Digendentium, uh, this is Article 17 to 22. 
So I like that. Let me read it one more time. John Paul would also, St. John Paul II would also teach in relation to the perpetual virginity of Mary that the body also expresses the interior depths of the person. Mary's physical virginity is an external expression of the mystery of her perfect interior virginity. And because Mary was to be a virgin in her spiritual and physical virginity was perfect, her, 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 her spiritual uh, and physical virginity was perfect and united to each other. Kind of almost something similar to the hypostatic union in some way. Kind of like relation to it. I wouldn't say similar, but related to it. The importance of the dogma of the perpetual virginity of the Blessed Virgin Mary is that it implies that Mary was the perfect disciple of Jesus, her son. The Catechism of the Catholic Church speaks of this reality in the following way. Mary, Mary's virginity manifests God's absolute initiative in the incarnation, the word becoming flesh, by his virginal conception, Jesus, the new Adam, ushers in the new birth of the children adopted in the Holy Spirit through faith. The acceptance of this life is virginal because it is entirely the Spirit's gift to man. The spousal character of the human vocation in relation to God is fulfilled perfectly in Mary's virginal motherhood. Mary is a virgin because her virginity is the sign of her faith. Unadulterated by any doubt and of her undivided gift of herself to God's will, it is her faith that enables her to become the mother of the Savior. Catechism of the Catholic Church Article 503 and to 507. In watching the chosen Christmas episode, the messengers, it is important to, to note it is its strength alongside its errors and limits. We must not relativize the mystery of faith contained in scripture, tradition, and the constant magisterial teaching of the church through artistic depictions of the life of Christ as seen in visual art, even in artistic depictions that are free from theological error, we should always see the sacrament unity between the artistic sign and the mystery it contains and the limits of that unity on the human side. Relevancy and, re uh, relevancy and reaching people where they are in our current times are important factors for effective evangelization and for overall discipleship with Jesus in faith. Yet faith always has a timeless element that speaks to every age. It is important that we do not let an over sentimentality get in the way from getting away from God acting, whether it is through art or in living in our own age of human history. When relevancy becomes the sole driving force, we risk neutering the gospel of its meaning and power to gain the, the world. As we watch the chosen episode, The Messengers, this Christmas, may we affirm the good, the true, and the beautiful, its depiction of the life of Jesus and Mary. This good can be source of spiritual consolation in our prayer. And at the same time, may we also be given the wisdom and grace 
and faith to see the human limits and errors of such artistic depictions of the life of, of our Lord in the realm of faith. Um, I'm going to make sure I didn't lose my place here. Sorry. At the same time, we may also be given the wisdom to, and grace in faith to see the human limits and errors of such artistic depictions of the life of our Lord in the realm of faith, theology, and historical depiction, especially when it comes from a non-Catholic perspective. May this wisdom give us the faith and clarity to not confuse the artistic depictions of the actual historical events and the mysteries of the lives of Jesus and Mary conveyed to us through the faith of the church. In doing so, may we come to grow in true adoration and love of Jesus. Our infant King and God moving out of the shadows and symbols of consolation that, that art can bring to our prayer into the fullness of the truth of the mystery of the faith that they can bring to us. Okay. It is, it is unfortunate. It's unfortunate that uh, the Dallas Jenkins. I mean, he he when he made the the um, the short film for his church called The Shepherd, and um, Jenkins did remember having Catholic friends who told him about about the Catholic view about how Mary uh, would not have given birth in pain. I mean, let's just try to let's try to back up a little bit first. Really try to clear this up. All right. We all know the biology of a, a woman um, first time having intercourse. Let's try to be gentlemanly about it. I'll try. And what happens? Now, that didn't happen. Grasp your mind about Mary conceiving our Lord through the power of the Holy Spirit. He was made incarnate by the divine spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is God. The angel Gabriel says, the Holy Spirit shall come upon you and the power of the Most High shall overshadow you. Therefore, the child that you will give birth to will be called holy, the son of God. Not by the will of man. John's gospel makes it quite clear. Not by the will of man was Jesus conceived, but by God. God incarnate. God in the flesh. Yet, for some reason, when it comes to giving birth, we stop there and we think, well, that's impossible. How could she give birth to him without pain, without going to con contractions, without labor pains? You just, you just affirmed faith in believing that he was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. A man did not lay with her. A man did not have intercourse with her. And yet, for some reason, our mind stops. when it, That's the problem with Protestants. And I think the problem is they just 
It's because the centuries of anti-Marian attitude, anti-Mary devotion, they stop and they can't believe it. They refuse to believe it. They refused, I mean, to acknowledge it and they refuse to think. So therefore, how did she give birth to him? Well, if he got in there without any biological physical force or physical um, physical means, meaning not through sexual intercourse, then it would have to be through the power of the Holy Spirit that he would come through. It would make sense it doesn't, it, I find it hard to, uh, hard to grasp, but not hard to believe. It's not something that, I mean, yeah, the, the, the New Testament is quite silent. It doesn't give us details about the, bir- the birthing process. Because it's not something, it, I think the problem is we misunderstand here. There's much that Mary treasured in her heart that she didn't share. That was kept private. Her relationship, her intimacy and relationship with God is so intimate and so private. It's just impossible impossible for us to grasp our mind around. There are no words to describe her relationship with the Holy Spirit. And that part of the birthing process that how Christ came through her into the world. John does a great job. He may, he says it right there. He says it right there in the, um, the Gospel of John. I'm going to open my Bible here. And I think John, the, the, the Gospel of John makes pretty much he shows respect. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the very beginning. Through Him all things came into existence, and without Him there is nothing that which came to be found in Him. And the life was the light of the human race, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness had been unable to overcome it. Through him, I'm going to, once again, I'm going to read this whole thing. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the very beginning. Through him all things came into existence, and without him there was nothing that which 
came to be. That which came to be found life in him. And the life was the light of the human race. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has been unable to overcome it. Right there. Light. The early church fathers believe that when finally our Lord came through through Mary was like light passing through glass. I don't, I, 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 as an artist, I think I, I would find it very hard to depict that there's no details because it's too intimate. It's too abstract. It's too beyond even words to describe. If John tries here and he does beautifully. All right. I mean, he goes on here. And he says, um, the light, the true light that enlightens everyone was coming into the world. Again, he focuses on light. He was in the world. The world had come into existence through him. Yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, but his own did not accept him. However, to those who did accept him, who believed in his name, he granted the power to become children of God, who were born not from blood or human desire or human will. This is the part here. Who were born not from blood or human desire or human will, but from God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, the glory of the Father's only Son, full of grace and truth. John could not, John could not figure, could not even go to the exact details of it. What he went was through abstract expression. Word light light all right the word became flesh it's it's his only way he can express it to go into details i think was undignified undignified and impossible I'm sure Mary told them. And I'm sure in their own minds they could not grasp. I mean, the word, the light of the universe, the word that gave shape and meaning to existence was impossible for them to to depict through detail so through the power of the holy spirit through the through the through the guidance of the holy spirit they went through abstract philosophical expression which still 
over, uh, we can't, we can't, sh- we can't shape our minds and hearts. And I think that's the problem when it comes to a Protestant. They can love Jesus. They can have a personal relationship with Jesus. But the problem is they, the, the, the ideology of, of Protestants, the theology of Protestantism simply pushes Mary aside sometimes and they still do. I wish that they could ask themselves this question. But they decided this is what happens when you when you when you reduce yourself to sola scriptura, scripture alone. You know? You know it's you know it's sad, but you know I like I like this I like this article I'm glad he um, I'm glad you know because my mom and I we were talking about this and she sometimes gets very frustrated that why Protestants have a hard time with Mary why they find it difficult I I, I find it I find it heartbreaking as well alrighty um, I'm glad I did this um, hopefully I can do a little bit more articles I mean I still love the Chosen I think the Chosen is a great show. Um, you know, I'm sorry Jenkins um, could not just spend a little, little bit more time um, grasping this. You know, ch- trying to, to at least give give the Catholic view. But I think why would he? I mean, seriously, you know, why would he? It's 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 really hard. I mean, he gets he gets enough he gets enough uh, ass whooping just for the mere fact that he's using a a. Latter Day Saint, a Mormon set in Utah for Jerusalem, and the fact that producers are Mormons, and then the fact that he gets enough slack as it is with Jonathan Rumi being a Catholic. <laughs> so, you know, the poor guy doesn't get a break from from those from uh, those critics on both ends. All right, so I'm glad uh, we did this, and hopefully I'll get back, and uh, hopefully I'll start doing more articles again. All right. I, you know, I wish I, I wish I could uh, be a little bit more uh, sophisticated, but I think this article explains enough. I'll try to place the article. I'll place the article on my um, Facebook page, The Informed Catholic. I'm going to do that. Okay. So um, thanks a lot uh, for this, and uh, and I'll try to put the link on the uh, the pod the podcast. Okay. God bless.